Today on the Matt Walsh Show, as law enforcement officials say there's no evidence of a racially motivated hate crime in the Atlanta mass shooting last week, the left becomes increasingly desperate to connect the event to racism. But as always, in their rush to make everything about race, they miss what really motivated this shooting. And so there's a really important conversation we don't end up having, but we will have today. Also, five headlines, including the canceled dominoes continue to fall as another Teen Vogue employee has her own racist tweets from the past resurfaced. And a viral TikTok video proves again that all cyclists are psychopaths. And finally, in our daily cancellation, I have to address the man who stormed off an elevator yesterday when I committed the sin of getting on the elevator without a mask. You know that's going into the daily cancellation. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So we're going to connect all this back to the race issue eventually, but bear with me here. You know, there's been for some time a so-called rape epidemic on college campuses. This is what has led to the formation of kangaroo courts, rape tribunals at these universities where men are often kicked out of school based on unsubstantiated claims without evidence to back them up. In many cases, as we've seen, the rape claims end up being erroneous, but of course the men's lives are destroyed anyway. What makes false rape claims such a problem today is that the definition of what qualifies as rape has been expanded into incoherence. And this is because consent, which used to be a rather simple and straightforward concept, has been turned into an impossible calculus equation. Consent is no longer a simple matter of agreeing to do something. You know, traditionally, that's what consent is. If you agree to do it, you consented, period. Someone can agree now. They can willingly engage in a particular act and yet somehow, somehow still not have consented to it. A woman might wake up the morning after a sexual escapade with a guy on campus, and uh, though she was a willing and eager participant at the time, nonetheless conclude that she didn't really consent and was therefore raped. Well, there goes that guy's life and reputation. The fundamental problem is that our culture has gotten rid of all of the rules, all of the moral guidelines governing the sexual act, leaving only consent as sort of the last of the Mohicans, the straggler, the final moral boundary hanging on for dear life. Consent is the only commandment we have left in the realm of sex. And so when a sexual act violates some other moral guideline, one that we don't recognize anymore, we don't have the language with which to describe it or condemn it. And so with consent being our only available term, we apply it there as well. A woman wakes up after a consensual sexual encounter with a stranger that she met at a party or something, and, and, and maybe she feels used and she feels violated. And she was used and violated, but not because it was non-consensual. Those feelings arise from the fact that the sexual act was not loving. It was not committed. It was not respecting of her own or her partner's dignity. But again, she doesn't have the moral language available. So she says, well, this doesn't feel good. You know, it feels bad. So it must have been rape. All non-rape sex is good. This was bad. So what else could this be but rape? This is the danger of embracing all sins but one, collapsing our morality down to this one specific evil, evil, deciding that all of our problems can be boiled down to just this one thing. With sex, we end up thinking that our only problem is simply that so much of it is non-consensual. When we have many more problems in the, in the area of sexual morality than that, and so much insanity and wickedness springs from that gross oversimplification. Now, a similar thing is happening with racism. 
Last week, after a, after a man, a white man, as we're constantly reminded, murdered eight people at, a, at massage parlors in Atlanta, the immediate and sustained assumption from the media and, and much of the culture has been that it was an act of anti, anti-Asian racism. No other possibility is entertained. It must have been racial hatred. Must have been. This in spite of the fact that the killer also murdered two white people. And in spite of the fact that the killer, who is in police custody now, told them why he did it and said it was, it was not any sort of racial statement. He identified himself as a sex addict who was trying to eliminate and punish his temptations. So it was, it was sexual rage, sexual jealousy, sexual madness that led him to this, according to the man who actually committed the act, who you would think is perhaps not an authority on anything else in life, but at least an authority on why he does the things that he does. But this explanation is simply not being accepted. It can't be that, we're told. It must be racism. Representative Judy Chu of uh, California was on ABC News this weekend declaring that she's sure it was anti-Asian racism. She's sure of it. Not because she has any intel that we don't have, but just because she can't imagine any other reason. Her own incredulity has led her to this verdict as she explained. Let's listen. Investigators say they haven't found concrete evidence that the gunman in Atlanta targeted these businesses and victims because of their ethnicities. But do you believe that this was a hate crime against Asian Americans and should be prosecuted as such? First, my heart breaks for the eight victims. And as I read more about them, I see that they were hardworking. Many were mothers. One was as old as 74 years old. And yes, I do strongly believe that this is a hate crime. This is a 21-year-old white male who chose as his first victim a business that was called Young's Asian Massage. Then he drove for 27 miles to another spot where he hit two more Asian spas. If his only problem was sex addiction, then he could have had his choice in those 27 miles of any place that he could have gone to. But no, he specifically went to those Asian spas where it was clear in all three places there would be many Asian women. And indeed, those were the majority of those that he shot and killed. Now, I know the legal bar is high because they have to find somebody who heard him say that there was uh, an anti-Asian slur expressed at the time. But I would say, look, these were places where people spoke another language. They may not have heard him. They may be dead. But in my mind and in the minds of many, this is an anti-Asian hate crime. Oh, in her mind. Well, okay, then that's all you need. But in Judy Chu's mind, it's an anti-Asian hate crime. That's it. Doesn't the evidence evidence be damned. In her mind, that's what it is. In her mind and heart. What kind of thing is that to even say? In my mind and heart, the motive of this crime is what the hell are you talking about? It doesn't matter what's in your mind, Judy Chu. There doesn't appear to be much there, actually. But it doesn't matter what's in your mind. It matters what's in the mind of the person who committed the act. His motivation matters when deciding on a hate crime. But you see, Judy Chu is a better authority on the shooter's motivation than the shooter is himself. She has, we must assume, dialed up Miss Cleo, calling her out of retirement, 
been given this information through psychic insight. And many in the media and on the, on the left apparently have access to the same supernatural powers because they've decided it was anti-Asian racism. Now, why do this? I mean, why twist into pretzels to connect this to racism? Usually when a person commits murder to make some sort of point, whether political or racial or whatever, they're not going to be shy about announcing that point. Far from it. I mean, normally they have, they have manifestos and everything they want you to know. The point was, after all, the whole point of the terrible deed itself. Whatever, whatever point they were trying to make, they're, they're not going to be shy about telling you. In this case, if the killer wanted to send some sort of twisted message about Asians, you'd think he'd tell us what the message is. Instead, he gives some other reason. So why not take him at his word? It's not as though accepting the sex addict line would be letting him off the hook. It's, nobody is saying, well, he's a sex addict, let him out of jail. It's not as though it makes him sympathetic. It's not an excuse. Whether motivated by racism or sexual rage, He's just as evil either way. Why refuse to believe the true motive as he tells it? Part of the reason is the standard deal, you know, that the media is always eager to pin whatever it can on white supremacy or, or you know, quote unquote, whiteness. So that's part of it. And we've talked about that plenty. But another part of the reason, an important part, is the limitation of our modern moral imagination. It's been decided that just as the only sin in the realm of sex is to violate consent, the only sin in the realm of, well, everything else is racism. Racism is the root of all evil. Racism is all evil. Whatever is evil must be racism. If it's evil, it's racism. If it isn't racism, it isn't evil. This is where our great moral condensing has brought us. We're condensing everything down to this. Everything is about racism. And that's a real shame because many truths are left on the cutting room floor. Many evils go undiagnosed and undenounced and therefore are allowed to flourish. This man says he had a porn compulsion, a pornography compulsion, and that led to a sex addiction. That's what he says, according to law enforcement officials. So rather than talking about how racism contributed to a shooting that it apparently didn't contribute to at all, we could be talking about how pornography contributed to it. Porn, by its nature dehumanizes and degrades. Both the viewer and the viewed are lessened by the experience. The person on the screen is made into a mere thing to be consumed, a commodity, and the viewer is made into a voyeur, a, a passive watcher hiding in the cyber bushes, peeking through the window. It is profoundly demeaning. Everyone involved has their view of themselves and the world and their fellow human beings warped. They walk away changed and not for the better. Is that part of the story here? Did this man grow more and more uh, accustomed to, to, to seeing women as objects to be used and discarded? Did he grow to hate himself and hate the world and hate his own sexual impulses? It seems so. And these are important questions, ones that we need to ask and try to answer, because this guy is not the only one who has conditioned himself to see his fellow human beings as nothing but tools or props to be used up and thrown away. So there's a real urgency to these questions. But we ignore them completely. We insist on the only explanation we recognize anymore, racism. We're like homeowners who've decided that the only thing worth worrying about in the, in the home is, is fixing and maintaining the plumbing. And so we sit in our houses as they burn from an electrical fire, confident that all is well because at least the toilet's still flush. 
We're, we're focused on one problem to the exclusion of all others. Often, often inventing examples of the problem where it doesn't exist, while real problems tear our country and its people into pieces. And that's what's happening here again. And it is a great evil in and of itself. Let's get now to our five headlines. Before we get to five headlines today, you know, with, with so many companies these days that are getting increasingly woke and uh, seems purposefully alienating their non-woke customer base, it's nice to have companies out there, a few anyway, that still uh, support us and support our values in the, court, in the culture. Companies that have morals, and that would be, first and foremost, Charity Mobile. One company that certainly fits the description is Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company. Uh, and with the pro-life phone company, that means that 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. Um, and now through April 16th, new activations get a free cell phone after instant credit, plus free activations, free shipping, and a free pro-life keychain. You get all of that through April 16th. So uh, you're getting, you're, 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 you're helping to support the right to life. You're helping to support a culture of life in America, but you're also getting a great service with a lot of perks, no contract, no termination fees, a no risk. Uh, no risk with a 30-day guarantee, so you might as well try it out. Plus, you get live customer service based right here in the USA. Uh, you get free usage alerts, a free app to monitor your usage, which is uh, which is really convenient. Pay your bills as well, all of that. But again, the main thing, you're helping to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. So call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. So this new Justice League movie came out uh, a couple days ago. Lots of people talking about it. Uh, came out, I think it was HBO Max and Zach, Zach, was it Zach Snyder's Justice League. And it's, you got Batman and Superman and, uh, and Aquaman and Wonder Woman. They're all teaming up to, to save the world again. And it, it's never exactly clear to me. Like, I know they, I know they jumped through all the hoops to, to explain why this is necessary, but it's never clear to me why Superman would ever need help from some dude. I mean, he's Superman. He can literally do anything. I think in the comics, well, because back when I was a kid and I would read the comics, there, there was a comic where he actually moved the entire planet out of the way of an asteroid or something. I believe that did happen. So th that's what he can do. And he needs help from some guy with some toys in his belt. Anyway, um, a lot of people are talking about this. And um, I haven't seen it personally. And the thing is, uh, you know, I was going to watch Justice League, but then I remembered that I'm not a child. And so that's why I don't watch superhero films. So I just, I, I just had to remember, oh, oh yeah, I'm not a 12-year-old boy. So that's why I'm not, I'm not interested in that personally. And I, I know this, what is this one, rated R? And they, they say the, 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 uh, the F word a few times, trying to make it gritty and realistic and adult. It's not, it's for kids. Superheroes are for children. Once you get over like the age of 14, you should have grown out of them, okay? All of them. Don't, don't tell me, oh, Christopher Nolan's Batman was... No, not really. Still a silly movie about a guy running around in a rubber suit. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Uh, and yeah, this is another opinion of mine, along with hating dogs, that I'm sure there will be universal agreement with. Um, okay, number one, from the New York Post, it says, it's a senior Teen Vogue staffer who opposed Alexi McCammon's hiring as editor-in-chief over troubling tweets as a teen had herself repeatedly dropped the N-word in online posts, according to a report. Christine Davitt, a senior social media manager at, uh, at the Condé Nast 
MAG had earlier this month made public a letter by staff complaining about McCammon's hiring in light of her past racist and homophobic tweets. So this was, we talked about this last week, Alexa McCammon was hired to be, she's a very left-wing black woman who was hired to be the editor-in-chief, hired from Axios to be editor-in-chief of, of Teen Vogue. And there was this cancel campaign that started within the Teen Vogue ranks because of some tweets that Alexi McCammon had sent out 10 years ago when she was 17. Uh, which were really pretty innocuous at the end of the day, especially because it was a 17-year-old sending them. But she got canceled for that. And now we know that one of the, the people at Teen Vogue, this um, uh, Christine Davitt, who was involved in canceling uh, Alexi McCammon, had herself, when she was a teenager, also sent out uh, racist tweets. So Davitt wrote uh, on her Twitter after McCammon was fired, she wrote, so proud of my Teen Vogue colleagues, the work continues. Then just hours after McCammon announced her resignation, saying that her tweets as a 17-year-old college student have overshadowed her work since then, Davitt wrote on Twitter, uh, quote, exhales the deepest sigh I've ever sighed. So she was relieved. Finally, we got rid of this racist. Yet David, who calls herself a queer, fat, Philippinks femme in Brooklyn. Um, that's how I describe myself, too, actually. It's, incidentally. Uh, no, she says she's a queer, fat, Philippinks. Okay, so we've already... I guess I should have figured we were going to do this. We're doing Latinx instead of Latino or Latina. Now we're doing instead of Filipino, we're saying Philippinks. But turns out she had, she still had up on her Twitter old posts of her own in which she repeatedly dropped the N-word. She, at least twice, the post reports, referred to a friend who appears to be white as a, quote, N-word with the, with the A at the end, not the E-R, but still. In 2009, in the next year also, she used the N-word in a joke tweet. Um, and those have since been resurfaced. And I, I don't know, now she's going to have to lose her job too. You know, the, the, the dominoes fall. You get held to your own standard. Now, in reality, again, it would be, it's completely crazy. Objectively speaking, it is completely crazy that we would be holding anyone accountable for tweets they sent out in 2009, you know, when they were teenagers. It's a completely crazy thing to do. But you, how can we not hold you to your own standard? You were just insisting that someone else get fired for the same damn thing. So, of course, we have to apply it to you. We have no choice. I don't, I don't like it, really, personally. What choice do we have, though? This is your standard. This is, what you, this is the world you wanted to live in. And so now we're going to allow you to live in it. It's what you wanted, you said. Now, uh, and, it, and it keeps going. Meanwhile, a woman named Ellery Smith, apparently a comedy writer, um, tweeted after the shooting in Atlanta. She tweeted this, quote, remember when someone had their SNL offer revoked after using an anti-Asian slur and so many people thought it was an overreaction? Hateful language begets violence. Hateful jokes beget violence. They minimize and they dehumanize and they allow for the normalization of terror. So, um, and this, uh, yeah, she's, apparently some sort of comedian. And this is in reference to Shane Gillis, who was fired from SNL a couple years ago for some jokes that he had told in the past about Asians. 
And now Ellery Smith is bringing that back up and saying, and, and actually partially blaming Shane Gillis as if he hadn't been canceled enough. He lost his job, uh, but partially blaming him for the shooting in, in Atlanta. Yes, because I'm sure that the shooter who, even though he, he never indicated that he had any anti-Asian sentiments at all, uh, Ellery Smith has decided not only did he have anti-Asian sentiments, but he was motivated partially by Shane Gillis's jokes about Asians. Well, because she said that, some enterprising person on Twitter went through Ellery, Ellery Smith's old tweets and found, found at least one from 2013 where she jokes about how Thai food has, has, uh, has cats in it. You know, the old joke about Asian food having cats and dogs. And she made a joke like that in 2013. That came up, and this is how she responded to the guy who, who uh, brought that old tweet up. She said, I posted a tasteless racist tweet when I was 17. It was disgusting and normalized the exact kind of violence that I meant. Luckily, I had been willing and slash able to grow in the past eight years, so I look a lot more like the girl on the left, on the left, referring to her most recent tweet, than I do on the right. Well, there it is again. Now, and, and once more, normal circumstances, if we're speaking objectively, who cares about the tweet she sent in 2013 when I guess she was a teenager, even if she wasn't a teenager? A joke about how Asians have cats and dogs. In the, so what? By the way, that's a stereotype that isn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't, we don't pull it out of thin air. That is an actual thing that has happened and does happen in some Asian countries. So you make a joke about it. Who cares? Even if she made the joke yesterday, who cares? That doesn't normalize violence. In no, If you make a joke about Asian cuisine, in no way, shape, or form are you encouraging or even implying or insinuating that anyone should commit any violence at all against anybody. Obviously. But she herself was trying to pin a harmless joke on someone else, made it supposedly an anti-Asian joke, and she that's, that's her standard. Even though it's crazy, we have no choice but to apply it to her. But of course, she gets to say, oh, I, I've grown since then. I'm, I'm a different, I'm changed. So that's the thing you notice about the cancel culture mob. They get to grow, right? They get to change and grow and become different people. No one else is allowed to. They're allowed to. No. See, we can't, we can't go along with that. What we have now is this is a, a, it's become a war of attrition. This is mutually assured destruction. If, the, if this is the game you want to play, it's going to be turned back on you. Right? Like this a nuclear cold war. Um, that's what this is. You don't want to get... You don't want to lose your job over dumb stuff that you said 10 years ago, then don't try to do it to other people. I think that's pretty reasonable in the end. All right. Uh, number two, I, you know, I, of course, we have the, the trip heard around the world. Joe Biden, you've already seen it. We don't need to play the video. You saw the, the video of Joe Biden tripping, not just once, but three times going up the steps on Friday uh, on his way to boarding. I believe it was Air Force One. And he, it was it was. It, it's not merely, I mean, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a clumsy guy. I'm as clumsy as they come. I've, I have tripped many a time going up and down steps, I will admit. But tripping three times on your way up the steps, like you just can't get your feet under you, eh, that's not, that, that, that's more than being clumsy. That is you being a frail old man who is in the process of physically and mentally uh, disintegrating. 
And the one thing I'll say about this, I, I think there's been more than enough analysis of Joe Biden tripping on the steps, especially when it, it yeah, it's disturbing to see and, and all of that. But it, it, of course, this is what we're going to see. It's what we, it's what we expect. When you, when you elect a 78 year old man to be president, this is what you're going to get. We are mortal human beings. It's, there's, it's not a fun thing. Nobody likes it. Part of being mortal is that as you get older, your mind starts to go, your body starts to go. It's going to happen to all of us. Unless you die before it happens, it will happen to you. That's the unfortunate, that's the ugly reality, right? The one thing I will say is um, you hear even plenty of conservatives that uh, will, will say that they feel sorry for Joe Biden and that we shouldn't make jokes about it. It's, it's, it's a sad thing to, to see him falling apart like this. Well, maybe this is because I'm not a very compassionate guy in general, but l- let me say, I don't feel sorry for him. I really don't. Um, because this is a guy who's been chasing power his whole life. It's not as though he, he, he just went insane and is acting. No, he's been chasing power his whole life. He has been trying to be president for decades. And so he put himself in this position. Yeah, there are a lot of people close to him, like his wife, who should have stepped in and didn't. And they deserve a lot of the blame for this. The great, quote, Dr. Jill Biden, who we're supposed to see just like Joe Biden, we're supposed to see her as this this decent person. No, if you're a decent and good wife, you would not have allowed your husband to do this. You would have absolutely put your foot down and say, I'm not going to go along with this. If it came down to it, you, you go on camera. If it's the only way to stop him, you go on camera and you say, listen, Joe, Joe Biden, he is not well. I am not in, I'm not on board with his presidential run. You do anything you can to stop this if you really love your husband. So I put a lot of blame there, but also Joe Biden himself. Chasing power. All he cares about. A lot of these people. Hillary Clinton, it was the same thing. She was falling apart physically. Whose fault is that? She couldn't let go of it. All she wanted was power. Joe Biden, that's all he wanted. And now he's falling apart in front of the entire world. And that, that is on him. That's the decision that he made. Um, this is the consequence of chasing power and, and, and for that being the only thing you care about in the world. Number three, Trump advisor Jason Miller uh, was on Fox over the weekend, and he announced that Trump is working on building his own social media platform. So big, big news there. Let's listen to that. Donald Trump obviously has been booted off Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, which were a great megaphone for him. Does he plan to try to get back on social media, perhaps with some new outfit? You know, Harry, this is really interesting, the fact that the president's been off of social media for a while because his press releases, his statements have actually been getting almost more play than he ever did on Twitter before. I'm not sure if that's because the length of them are a bit longer. I even had one reporter say that she thought it was much more elegant the way that the president was able to communicate his thoughts and it very much looked more presidential in that longer form. But uh, I do think that we're going to see President Trump returning to social media in probably about two or three months here with his own platform. And this is something that I think will be the the hottest ticket in social media. It's going to completely redefine the game and everybody is going to be waiting and watching to see what exactly President uh, Trump does, but it will be his own platform. 
Well, we'll see. That's an interesting idea. Uh, I'm, I, I will admit that I'm, of course, you come to me to be the, the naysayer. So doing a little naysaying here, I'm very skeptical of this idea. We'll see if it actually happens. But in order to have a successful run at, at starting your own social media platform, if you want it to be you know, big, if you want it to be uh, a, a major factor, as we just heard from Jason Miller, a couple of things. Number one, Trump is going to have to uh, delegate. What, is, what does Donald Trump really know about starting a, a, a social media company? He's, he's successful in using social media. It doesn't mean that you know anything behind the scenes to, 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 to actually operate this on your own. Which, and that's fine. So you got to delegate. You got to find people who know this stuff and who you can trust and, and, uh, and let them do it. But delegating responsibility... Finding good candidates for a job, delegating responsibility, that is not proven to be one of Donald Trump's strong suits. That's my first issue. Second issue is that we know with Trump, part of his branding is like he likes to put his name on everything he does. If it's a hotel he's starting, it's a Trump hotel. If it's steaks that he has his own line of steaks, they're Trump steaks. Whatever it is, he's put, he puts Trump on it. And yeah, you could start, he could start uh, whatever Trump social media site and call it Trump or call it MAGA or something. And uh, you, you're probably guaranteed to get like 10 or 20 million users and you could have a successful little operation that way. But uh, Twitter has, what, 160, 170 million users. Facebook has billions of users. So if you want to be major and you want to make a play to get into that category... And you want to make a serious dent in Twitter and Facebook and take a, a lot of, take a, a huge chunk of their users, then it can't be the Trump social media platform. It has to be just a, a regular social media platform that Trump is helping to run behind the scenes. But if it's a Trump branded thing, then you're only going to get Trump diehards on it. And there are a lot of them, but not enough to be the next Twitter or anything close to that. So we'll see. Um, number four, on Saturday, Elon Musk tweeted uh, saying, I'm accumulating resources to help make life multiplanetary and extend the light of consciousness to the stars. Now, n- not many people can say something like that, and it, it, it's actually true, but th- that is really what he's doing and taking, and taking actual steps to, uh, to see that through. Bernie Sanders, though, responded saying, Space travel is an exciting idea, but right now we need to focus on Earth and create a progressive tax system so that children don't go hungry, people are not homeless, and all Americans have health care. The level of inequality in America is obscene and a threat to our democracy. Well, we know Bernie Sanders is a one-note guy, so everything for him is going to come back down to that. But you hear this a lot, not just from guys like Bernie Sanders and not just from the left. Um, anytime the topic of space exploration comes up, whether Elon Musk or, or, or in general, you hear from people saying, well, we got a lot of problems on Earth. Let's solve those first, and then we can... So what you're actually saying is, let's never do any space exploration. Because there are always going to be major problems on Earth. Always. And back in the age of exploration, when European countries were putting people on ships and they were going across the ocean blue and discovering new lands and all that, um, they they had a lot of problems there too. far Far from a perfect utopian world. And yet they still pushed forward. And there are a lot of practical reasons 
for exploration, just like there are practical reasons to try to go into the stars, uh, you know, mining for resources, it would be one of them. But I think it's so much more than that. It's, it, this is what makes us human beings. This is, this is a sign of a thriving, successful, proper, prosperous civilization is when you're, you're, you're pushing forward and discovering and expanding for its own sake. When you pull back from that and you, and you turn entirely inward and you say, we don't care. We, we know as much about the, uh, about the universe as we want to know. We're, we're done with that. We're going to focus only on ourselves now and the so-called practical problems. Once you do that, you're in, um, you're in at least a state of social stagnation, if not collapse. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't like these kinds of excuses. Yeah, let's, well, let's simply solve world hunger, hunger first. Let's do that. Knock that out. Check that box. And then we can go and, uh, and go to Mars. Sure. Okay, number five. Finally, a, uh, a TikToker who goes by the handle AngryBiker69, which probably tells you what you need to know about this guy, proudly posted a video of himself riding through the city and yelling at people who dare to walk through or even near the bike lane. And he thinks that he's the good guy here. When you watch and listen to this video, he, he, he posted this. He thinks he's the good guy. Let's, uh, let's watch this. Cussing out women and children? I mean, this guy... Okay. This... I, 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 we, we did a daily cancellation about, about cyclists before, and this is my, this is my exhibit A. I, I wish this video had existed back when we did that a few weeks ago because this is exhibit A right here. The entitled attitude. And he posted this, this to, uh, to online, and you know, it goes viral. There are a lot of people defending him. It's like, yeah, he has every right to do that. What? Since when is it ever acceptable? To go blowing past pedestrians, flipping them off, cussing at them. Oh, it's like old ladies trying to cross the street. He won't even slow down for them. This is what you get from cyclists. Now, here's here's one thing you have to keep in mind. And I, I actually looked this up. This is what this is what I've been reduced to. But I looked up the, the surveys, and unsurprisingly, the, the majority of people that you see out cycling on any given day, uh, they're doing it for recreation. It's not even like they're commuting. Now, there is some of that, but your average cyclist is out for recreation. That's why he's out. Why should we have to accommodate that at all? That's my question. Why do we have to, why does society have to accommodate your hobby? There are people walking. They're trying to get from point A to point B. There are are cars that are really commuting, trying to go to work. We have to make room for you because you want to have fun on your little bicycle? Why? We, we, we put lanes, we put actual lanes for, for your recreation. Why does this have to be our problem? Go, and you say, well, where, where else am I going to cycle? I don't care. I don't care where else you go on your bicycle. Nowhere. It's not a problem. 
Why do we have to accommodate it? That's my question. We don't do this for any other form of recreation. We, we don't go out of our way in this way to accommodate any other recreation. It's only cyclists who are special for whatever reason. And so, do, do they obey the traffic signal? Is it, they, they want, they're going to enforce bike lanes. Okay, you, you dare cross a bike lane, stand in a bike lane, they're going to let you know it. Can I do that to, to cyclists who are on the, on the regular road, not on the bike lane? Can I honk at them? Can I run them off the road? Scream at them? Can I do that? So they don't respect the traffic. You know, cyclists, it's like, when's the last time you saw one stopping at a red light? Or actually s- signaling the way they're supposed to with their hands? You rarely see that. So they're not going to obey the, the traffic signals. Uh, they're not going to obey the rules of the road. But if you dare disobey the damn bike lane then it's a problem. I, 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 I was watching that and I know that it wasn't going to happen because he wouldn't have posted it if it did. I so wanted someone to throw a stick in his bicycle spokes or just push him off that damn thing. I really wanted to see that. I, I, I can't tell you. This is not even a bit or a joke. I cannot stand these people and their stupid bike lane. I don't care about your damn bike lane. I don't respect it. I don't care about it. It shouldn't exist. Go, go on a trail in the, in the woods. Go to the gym. I'm not going to accommodate you in your hobby. Period. All right. Um, got that off my chest. Let's go to reading the YouTube comments. Marcus Aurelius says, people don't give offense. They take it. If someone is angry and says that anyone who is not angry with her is part of the problem, that's her problem, not mine. Yeah, that's, that's one thing you get. Um, not only people taking offense so often, but the, this idea that we, we have an obligation, like someone who takes offense, it's not only that they're taking offense, but they think you have an obligation to be offended along with them. So we got that from the female basketball players. We play, played the video on Friday, the NCAA uh, women's tournament, and, and uh, they were offended that they didn't have all the same accommodations as the men, which and the reason the men have all the accommodations is because they're a billion dollar enterprise and everyone cares about men's basketball and women's basketball doesn't even make money because nobody cares. But we, we were told if, if you don't, if, you, if you're not upset about this, you're part of the problem. It's your obligation to be offended on behalf of female basketball players because they don't have enough exercise equipment. Yeah, that, um, that is an interesting thing as well. Let's see. Mutt says, teaching kids to twerk while grown men, presumably fathers, laugh. How have we fallen so far so fast? These men should be publicly shamed and arrested for child abuse. Uh, in reference to the, the video of a drag queen, a drag queen story hour, teaching kids, little kids, how to twerk. We played that video. And I could not agree more. That a sane, stable civilization, that video would end with uh, law enforcement officers with their guns drawn running into there and, and arresting everybody who is not a child. Everybody. Sending them all to prison. Um, not a dog. Interesting username. Good. Very, not, not very specific. Says, when I was a kid, I used to want to be a power... I, I used to want a Power Rangers tattoo really bad. Um, cringe, I know, but I was a kid. Obviously, mom just laughed at me. As an adult now, I'm very glad that I didn't have the chance to make permanent body-altering decisions as a child. This is, this is one of the, the many arguments that you really can't get around if you support transitioning kids, giving them hormones. Well, 
you, I would assume, even you, if you support that, you would not be in favor of an eight-year-old going and getting a tattoo. Most likely. Now, maybe you'll get to that point where you would even defend that. But right now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't defend that. Why is that? And getting a tattoo, by the way, a, a much less significant bodily change than taking hormone pills to, you know, um, stave off puberty or, or, or try, to, try to make it so that your body resembles vaguely a different sex. Um, and finally, Becca says, hi, Maddie. I'm probably going to be banned from the show for calling you Maddie. I just wanted to say I love your show and your dry sense of humor. Also, I just bought my membership for the Daily Wire. I had to dip into my wedding fund, but I feel I deserve to give myself a nice wedding gift. Plus, I don't want to miss Candace Owens. Well, Becca, uh, your prophecies were, were correct. You are banned from the show, but I want to stipulate it's not so much for calling me Maddie. Well, it is that, but also it's because you said you got a Daily Wire membership for Candace. Well, what about me? You, you claim you're a fan of the show, but you, you didn't wait. I mean, I'm glad you got the membership, but what am I, chopped liver? So... That's offensive to me. And that is something I demand that everyone else be offended by also. But so you're banned twice. But thanks for watching the show anyway. You're done now, but thanks. You know, spring is, uh, is here and that means it's getting warmer out. You want to spend more time outside. You want to really be doing anything but standing in an auto parts store or walking aimlessly around, looking for the things that you, the, the, the part that you want that you're probably not going to find. And when you do find, if you do find it at all, it's going to be more expensive than it should be. Uh, so why waste all that time when it's so nice out? Go to rockauto.com. You have access to rockauto.com. You know, in your pocket, you have, you have your laptop at your desk. You, you, you can go to rockauto.com anytime in just a couple seconds. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. And that means that they're not going to change the prices. They're not going to give you a different price if you're a professional or a do-it-yourself or it's the same price for everyone. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com, the shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts that are available for your vehicle, and you can choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. They make it really, really easy, even for a moron like myself. So if you're even a little bit smarter than me, it's going to be all the, all the, all the easier. Uh, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and remember, as always, to write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. And, you know, last week was a huge week for The Daily Wire. On Friday, Candace Owens premiered her first episode of her new talk show, Candace, and so many, so many users tuned in to watch that it broke our live stream for a few minutes. That's how, uh, that's how popular it was and how many people wanted to see this. If you haven't seen it yet, you're definitely going to want to check it out. You can catch key segments on her new podcast, Candice, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. But this is important. Only Daily Wire members can get the full show. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and get 25% off a new membership with code Candice. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe and 20, 25% off with code Candice. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today for our daily cancellation, um, I'm going to cancel the dude on the elevator. You know who you are. This past weekend, I was doing some firearms self-defense training at Front Sight in Nevada. It was a really exceptional experience all around. I'll have more to say about that in the coming days. But by the way, if you want to have your own exceptional experience, go to constitutioncoach.com and you can sign up for your own course. But the, the, the one sadly non-exceptional event, in more than one sense of the word, happened in the elevator of the hotel on Sunday right before we left. I boarded the elevator on the third floor. Now, if you could do the math, that means we had easily... 
fewer than 10 floors to go before getting to the first floor, I think. The point is that it was, it was going to be a very short trip. Not the kind of trip that you pack an overnight bag for or even a bagged lunch. A few seconds and it's over, if all goes according to plan. Now, in my case, I also did not pack a mask for the elevator trip. I mean, I packed one in my bag because they wouldn't let me on a plane without it, but it, it, my bag and everything was in the rental car at this point, which meant that I had to get on the elevator without my mask. God forbid. Unfortunately, a man and his wife were already on the elevator when I stepped on, and this would normally not be a problem, except that I, unbeknownst to myself, had just stepped into a close quarters environment with an especially paranoid member of the mask cult. So he took one look at me, maskless, my entire mouth and nose exposed, naked, my, my face naked, not the rest of my body, presenting my hideous face shamelessly to the world, and, and a look of panic set in in this guy's eyes. You could see it. And he said, his voice was quaking. He said, excuse me, your mask. Can you put your mask on? Point, and he was pointing frantically to his own face when he said that. He's like pointing to his mask in case I wasn't familiar with the concept of a mask. Like your mask, here. And I said, uh, oh, I think it's in the car. It's fine, don't worry. And then he, he became especially flustered, fuming audibly before pounding on the button to open the door because the door had just closed and he, and he was fuming. They pounded on it and the door opened again. And for a brief moment, I thought he was going to demand that I, that I exit the elevator. And then, and then we would have ourselves a real showdown because just out of principle, there was no way in hell. I was ready for this now. I didn't want this. I was not looking for confrontation. He opened that door and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Because there was no way in hell I was getting off that elevator at the command of this whimpering, absurd little person. Wasn't going to happen. But instead, he stormed off himself, his wife exiting quietly behind him, ashamed, I assume. And as the door shut, I poked my head out and I said with true eloquence, these were my actual words. And I'm so proud that I thought to say this in the moment, that just this, this eloquent uh, quip and comeback. I said, um, dude, seriously? And then he said, just as eloquent, yes, seriously, it's disrespectful. Now, I'll also mention that another woman, a little older, um, entered the elevator after that guy got off. And she was wearing a mask too, but she was laughing at the man's antics and saying that this, this silliness has to end soon. That's what she said. She was a normal person, you know, a sane person, one of the dwindling few. And I almost hugged her out of sheer gratitude, but then I realized that would be a violation of elevator etiquette anytime, COVID or not. So what I'd really like to do now is respond briefly to what the scared man said in the elevator um, or out of the elevator as the elevator door shut and respond to, to everyone who finds themselves relating to him uh, or sympathizing with them or anyone who's, who has acted the same way as him. And there are many of them out there. He said, it's disrespectful, right? And to that, I say, you're absolutely right. It, it is disrespectful. It is. Um, I am not going to respect your paranoia. I'm not going to respect your unreasonable demands. I'm not going to respect your fear. It, we were going to be standing within a few feet of each other for 25 seconds. I'm not hacking up a lung. I'm not feverish. I'm not sick. Now, you may not know that about me, but I do. And I'm going to govern my behavior based on what I do know, not based on what some stranger doesn't know. Now, you might say, sure, you aren't sick. Sure, we're only going to be in close proximity for a few seconds. Sure, tens of millions of Americans are, are immune at this point due to vaccination or prior infection. Sure, all of those things make it unlikely that I spread it to someone else in that context. But, um, but it's not impossible. It could happen. Yeah, it could. True. Fine. But how likely is it? Is it likely? Is it even moderately likely? 
Is it unlikely, but still significantly plausible? Or is it really, really very, very unlikely? And if it's the latter, which I would argue it is, then why should I be expected to take any action to alleviate your disproportionate fear of a very, very unlikely occurrence? And if I'm expected to take an action for that reason, where does it stop? Where does it end? What other of your unreasonable fears am I expected to accommodate? By the way, let's take the risk assessment further. What's a greater risk to you on an elevator, an asymptomatic 34-year-old who'll be standing a few feet from you for a few seconds, or the elevator itself? If anything on that elevator kills you, is it more likely to be me or some kind of malfunction of the elevator? At least you must admit that there are both unlikely occurrences, but neither is impossible. And if you're losing your mind over what is unlikely but not impossible, why are you on the elevator at all? Why not take the stairs? Well, sure, the stairs present their own risks, as Joe Biden has shown us. Every year, many people die from stairs-related accidents. So how else will you get down the lobby? I don't know, rappel down the, from the window? Probably not much safer. It is a problem. I mean, come to think of it, how did you get to the hotel in the first place? I assume you drove. Drove what's more on those straight desert roads where people routinely tip the speedometer over 100 miles an hour. Maybe you flew before you drove. Well, that presents all of its own risks, COVID-related and not COVID-related. See, every day you do a thousand things that could kill you. If you were to rank the risk level of all those things, where do I come in? As I breathe in your vicinity for a few seconds. I'm not at the top. I'm quite sure of that. Not even close to the top. See, I know all these things. I can make these reasonable calculations. I even know other relevant data points, like the fact that I very likely already had coronavirus back in the early days of the pandemic. I'm not sure about that, but it's another factor that's taken into account and which lowers the statistical risk. Now, this may not be an equation that presents itself clearly to you in your fear, but it does to me. And again, I am going to act based on what I know, not based on what you don't. I'm not going to cater to your fear. And I shouldn't have to. Those days have to be over for all of us. You've had a year of people catering to your fear. That's done now. It's time to live again. Get on board with it or stay home hiding under your bed, sobbing and shaking. That's up to you. You can make your own choice and I can make mine. My choice is to ride the damn elevator with or without the mask. And also my choice is to cancel you. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Joe Biden can't walk upstairs. The White House admits there's a crisis on the border. And Republican Governor Christy Nome goes weak on transgenderism. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.